Alright. Hey traders, welcome to another podcast. Today is June 6th and this is podcast episode 56. The first part of the podcast, we will talk about Ripple dragging down some of the other projects due to the hotspot that they're currently in, the hot seat that they're in uh, from the SEC. We'll jump a little bit into Anonymous and their video that they recently posted on Elon Musk, which we did post on our TikTok. Check that out if you haven't. We'll talk a little bit about El Salvador. They've actually um, recently opened up to the adoption of cryptocurrencies. We'll talk about that a little bit later. We'll talk some more about the project Zill, uh, which is a NFT marketplace. Really cool things coming out of there. We'll touch a little bit on um, Tezos and their partnership with Red Bull Racing Honda. And then we'll end off this podcast talking about some of the companies that are looking for crypto licenses, which is just furthering the progression of this adoption curve. So thank you very much for tuning in and I'll pass it over on to Nathan. Appreciate the time you've taken with us. Just to jump right into it, we have some basically news coming out of the XRP, Ripple, and SEC case. In essence, there's been some back and forth. SEC has been asking documents for Ripple. It got denied, and XRP is fired right back, and they are looking for documents, in essence, that the SEC has discussed in relation to both Bitcoin and Ethereum. They want documents to explain how and why the SEC recognizes Bitcoin and Ethereum as currencies and not as securities. So just to rewind a bit, that is part of the central paradigm of this law case is that XRP is being sued by the SEC for selling unregistered securities. And Ripple is basically saying, hey, that's unfair. We're going to bring the rest of the crew down with us. What do you think about Bitcoin and Ethereum? How are these not securities? And we are. And ultimately, we've talked about it before, but the Howey test is kind of the age-old uh, test that the SEC applies to determine if something is a security. Super interesting, very long and confusing to get into. You can look into it on your own if you'd like, but in essence, they want to know how the Howey test fails for XRP and passed for Bitcoin and Ethereum. It's interesting to see this back and forth. Obviously, the Ripple lawyers are on their P's and Q's. They have a well-organized case. And so... Rather than, in essence, take one for the team and accept the fine or the slap on the wrist that the SEC will apply, I think it is their goal to bring the rest of the crypto market down with them and say, hey, if the ship is burning, you're going to burn down with it. Because ultimately, they basically just brought the rest of the crypto market into the legal case with them. Yeah, definitely not the way that we wanted to uh, see them position in terms of pulling everyone down instead of just kind of leaving the rest of the crypto market alone and trying to settle it themselves. But uh, I can kind of see their point of view. Uh, they single-handedly got handpicked uh, as the case to try to press on for the SEC to try to win and try to create that lawsuit. Um, and that could create a little bit of a shift in momentum where regulators in the SEC might want to take on like a second project and a third project to take on in terms of uh, the lawsuit. Um, so it, instead of Ripple taking it on themselves, they just decided, hey, why not just look at them and look at us all at once? Uh, which isn't great, especially when the crypto market is already down. We are hoping that the SEC is just going to focus on XRP as of now. See what happens. If they lose, that would be a pretty substantial loss for the SEC, and it'd be hard to get back that momentum. If they win, that would be a pretty negative thing for the overall cryptocurrency market. So 
Um, we're hoping that it doesn't actually come into fruition where they're going to be looking at Bitcoin and Ethereum's documents, but you never know. It was kind of an uncool thing to do in my opinion, but it's pretty understandable. So uh, we'll definitely keep you guys all updated on the information regarding the SEC and Ripple Labs dispute. The next thing we're going to touch on a little bit is going to be anonymous. They've recently posted a video kind of um, exposing Elon Musk. A lot of the information that they did post in that video is already widely understood. Um, Elon Musk is not the founder of Tesla. His family owns or owned a emerald mining facility in South Africa. And there's a lot of things that are discussing kind of the negatives of this quote, um, rich narcissistic dude, I think is uh, what Anonymous quoted him as. But um, yeah, it's, it's interesting. Yeah, Elon Musk obviously is a person who is kind of volatile himself in the world of crypto. He kind of switched back and, uh, switches back and forth in terms of Bitcoin being a positive thing. And he switches into a state where he thinks that it is negatively impacting the environment, where Anonymous pointed out that even what he's doing right now with SpaceX, with Tesla, is already negatively impacting the uh, overall environment with children or like young people mining for lithium, which is not very ethical. So they're bringing up very valid points. And at the very end of the video, uh, they basically just told them, watch out. Um, it, it'd be interesting to see if they actually are going to be doing anything. But it's just some news that illustrates the polarity between the Elon lovers and the Elon haters. I think almost everyone in the crypto market was an Elon lover, especially when Elon bought around like 1.5 billion in BTC earlier this year and then when he dumped it and then when he started talking about the environmental impacts of Bitcoin a lot of people started hating on him and the fact that he's so focused on Doge is uh, kind of rattling a lot of people as well so it'd be interesting to see what comes out of the anonymous post that they've recently made I think it was yesterday that they posted the video there yeah, one hundred percent. Anytime anonymous gets involved, it's kind of like, oh shit! Yeah. You never, you never know what these goons on the internet are gonna get up to. Because at the end of the day, it took a rather threatening tone, and they said, uh, uh, "You believe that you're the smartest person in the room, but now we're here. Expect us." Yeah. And so it's interesting to see that, just like you said, kind of that polarity between big. Uh, Elon lovers and Elon haters. And it seems like the schema has definitely shifted where most people are kind of becoming resentful mm -hmm. uh, towards Elon. There was a, I guess, famous, and it might not be the right word, but a circulating tweet from at uh, Shadow Stripes on Twitter. I'm really not a fan of Twitter notifications, but have had to turn them on for your account because otherwise I lose money half the, half of the time you tweet. <laughs> all, the, all this to say, please try to treat responsibly and understand you are messing with people's lives. Because ultimately, I think, especially when Bitcoin was over $60,000 per BTC, people were greedy as fuck, taking out leverage positions, maybe borrowing against the equity in their home or using student loans. And although that is not responsible investing behavior, it is hard to say that Elon Musk did not have any part in Bitcoin crashing. And the platform that he used to do it was Twitter. And so in essence, the less he tweet, or if he were to tweet less, or if those tweets hadn't have happened, in theory, Bitcoin wouldn't be at where it is now. And people may have not suffered as large losses. And I think there is kind of a disconnect between what Elon thinks he is doing and the impact he is actually having on the crypto market. Because at the end of the day, 
he is so hot and cold on Twitter that it's pumping, it's dumping, and it's creating a very volatile crypto market that is not friendly for beginner investors whatsoever. Yeah, kind of reminds me of like the John McPhee kind of vibe, um, where Elon's obviously a more prominent figure, but um, he was a pretty interesting person to follow. And he was the center of attention in 2017, where he was calling for 100,000, a million, um, or else he's going to cut off his dick, something along the lines of that, I kind of forget at this point. But um, yeah, people come and go. And I think Elon hopefully has learned his lesson. If not, that's kind of unfortunate. But um yeah, he's really messing with people's lives, I think, for mainly the people who are over-leveraging and using margin as a problem. Because if you're holding and if you believe that the bull run is still going to continue, and if you're not really leveraging too much in terms of longs, it's not too bad other than just seeing your portfolio down a substantial amount. But hopefully everyone is being careful out there and understanding that leverage is used only in very specific times not the entire bull run i just think that is not a very good way to go about doing things you get charged fees for holding leveraged positions as well so uh it's it'll be interesting to see how it plays out uh maybe he doesn't learn his lesson we never know i think at this point he still probably thinks he's the smartest man in the room um his ego is probably pretty bloated just at where he is and how much uh, people respect him a little bit less so now but uh, it'd be interesting to see how things play out with the hacktivists and elon musk moving on to a little bit more of, of, of a positive uh news outlook this is coming from el salvador they've actually i believe opened up bitcoin to be a legal tender in the country which is absolutely huge uh, they were doing it for kind of two reasons. It will help generate jobs, help find, uh, help provide financial inclusion to thousands of outside in the economy. Because as of right now, it's a pretty unbelievable statement that I currently am reading. 70% of people living in El Salvador do not have bank accounts. That is unbelievable. And a lot of people are looking at Bitcoin, but more so over overall the cryptocurrency market as a means of kind of replacing the current financial structure and people living in America or Japan or Australia or Canada, EU, um, a lot of these places have really sound financial institutions that are able to easily create bank accounts for you, transact funds through states or provinces or even countries, which can get a little bit pricey. But we see some... Uh, not third world countries, but some other countries that don't have the facilities and the infrastructure financially to easily set up a bank account or transact on a global scale. So having this adoption of cryptocurrencies, mainly BTC, but obviously that will pour into different uh, asset classes in crypto, is an extremely positive thing. It says El Salvador's economy relies heavily on remittances, which is basically people outside the country sending money internally in the country to help out family relatives all that stuff and that uh, remittance sector is around 20 percent of the gdp the gross domestic product which is unfathomable how much people are spending to actually just give money to their families and, and people in need in that country so um, we think that if this does play out in a positive note and they're able to reduce the fees and reduce the amount of money that people are spending on remittance and they're able to increase the gdp maybe through um, increasing jobs and just making it more inclusive for people to actually have bank accounts and to actually have some sort of financial structure um, maybe some other country, countries will incorporate the BTC and cryptocurrency markets and make it a legal tender in their country as well.
Yeah, another interesting point that's kind of been mentioned and circulating around on Twitter is from Danny Scott. He's the CEO of Coin Corner, which is a crypto exchange. Not that big, but he's got some really interesting ideas here. Is that in theory, if El Salvador were to legally make Bitcoin legal tender, this has implications for how it is recognized as a financial instrument outside of El Salvador. So there's basically, for example, if you look at the UK tax laws, uh, what is exempt from capital gains tax? There's a whole list of things, stuff like private motor cars, gifts to UK charities, prize and betting winnings, cash. And at the very bottom of the list is foreign currency held for your own use. And so if Bitcoin is recognized as one of the legal tender currencies of El Salvador, by implication, it is exempt from capital gains tax in the UK. Obviously, that's not financial advice. That's not tax advice. But it's an interesting implication that if we're seeing true national adoption of cryptocurrencies as legal tender, as a legitimate currency, then it's shifting the paradigm away from asset and more as a true exchange of value. And so when it comes to tax laws and tax codes and operating within your own country's financial regulations, it could change how Bitcoin is recognized, at least from like the technical point of view. Obviously, if you start laundering thousands of Bitcoin and you're like, yo, this is my legal tender in El Salvador for my own use, they might raise some questions. But it's an interesting implication that as we see this hyper Bitcoinization, I think there's going to be some uh, legal paradigm shifts or maybe some rewrites of how we recognize tax laws. Okay, very much so. It'd be interesting to see it play out. Um, I think the adoption is only going to increase as we've seen. This is a very, very large step in not just El, El Salvador, but globally having a country have BTC as a legal tender in the country. So we'll definitely keep everyone updated in that front. Um, I believe in a tweet, they said that Bitcoin has a market cap of $680 billion. Um, obviously changes with every moment in time. If just 1% of it is invested in El Salvador, that would increase the GDP of El Salvador by 25%. Um, which kind of is interesting because if they're able to reduce the remittance, which is around, I believe, 20%, it'll basically even out. So they're hoping that the reduction in remittance in the GDP will be um, basically taken over by the increase in the economy through this BTC adoption. And on the other side, BTC will have 10 million more potential new users and it will be the fastest growing way to transfer $6 billion in a year in remittances. So they definitely see the positive. They see the upside. Maybe they might even get into mining. We never know. But uh, lots of interesting things coming from El Salvador. Yeah, 100%. I feel like that's actually like true national adoption. And so for our next story here, we're just keeping kind of in line with the adoption theme. This is called Zill Stars. It's featuring the, the crypto known as Zilka. And basically it's kind of an NFT platform. And same as Topshot was basically the NFT representative, the official partner of the NBA. This company is looking to invade the European football niche. And so basically they have released uh, a set of NFTs on an NFT marketplace for some of the biggest players within European soccer. So just to name a couple of these stars, James Rodriguez, he's a really big name, Renato Sanchez, uh, Keylor Navas, the goalkeeper, we got Pepe, the Portuguese goon, <laughs> as well as Falcao. So we're seeing a, a, 
a lot of big names like Diego Costa kind of get featured on this NFT marketplace. And it's interesting to see that kind of paradigm shift where we saw Top Shot lead the way with NBA. And now we're seeing it kind of in, uh, invade European football. If I'm being honest, I kind of expected um, the NFL to adopt it next because there's a lot of pro Bitcoin NFL players like Tom Brady, Russell Kung, and a lot of the new guys that got drafted recently. But here we are seeing the official Zill Stars NFT marketplace, but these famous European footballers go live and be available for their fans to endorse and flex. Yeah, really cool opportunity, I think. Um, we, we saw a pretty big shift up in the awareness of NFTs earlier on this year, and we've kind of seen it settle down a little bit. But I think on the macro perspective, NFTs really will take over, not just sports, but so many different facets of life because not everything should be priced exactly the same. Like one BTC is priced at one BTC, um, whereas different athletes' photos and um, artwork might be priced at different uh, settings or, or different uh, prices depending on the time frame, the picture, the art, wh whatever it may be. So I think it's a very, very great opportunity for the foreseeable future. So this is a lull in the market in NFTs, kind of seems like overall. So if you are interested in sports and you're able to kind of identify key individuals, key players that could be... Um, a really fruitful opportunity for you if you're into crypto nfts as well as sports this is a really good opportunity i definitely think and then kind of sticking on the um collaboration space we see red bull racing honda actually named tezos its official blockchain partner which is super interesting uh they said stuff like in formula one innovation it is always involved it is always evolving and developing and tezos is no different um, it's something that I haven't really heard too much about. Like Tezos hasn't been on the main forefront um, in, in terms of news. It was a project that um, I think was a little bit more popular in 2017. Um, they also have a hardware wallet. So they do have a lot of exposure in the overall cryptocurrency space. But uh, really cool to see that even F1 formula racers are connecting with blockchain because they see the opportunity. Yeah, 100%. And I mean, I think it was, I want to say two or three weeks ago, maybe in late May, that there was the first uh, Bitcoin sponsored racing car in the Indy 500. And so, I mean, we're seeing Tezos invade the Formula One space, which I feel like is actually becoming way more mainstream. I'm seeing loads of normies on my social media post about F1 on a regular basis. So clearly the industry must be getting bigger. And I can't say that I watched the Indy 500, but still a bitcoin sponsored car in the, in the indy 500 now that is something i can get behind ultimately just a bit of a side joke here the indy 500 is just a competition of who can turn left the longest and the best <laughs> so true that's funny <laughs> and so just to finish off this episode here we have uh, some kind of institutional news coming from alibaba google and some of the uh, the other largest companies based in Singapore, or at least have a Singapore head office. Essentially, the Monetary Authority of Singapore, MAS, as it's referred to, has received over 300 requests for payments and crypto exchange licenses, including big names like Alibaba and Google. And ultimately, this is kind of the regulatory body that oversees like the financial regulation in the space and ensuring that there's no nefarious scammers going about with an official license. 
And so it's interesting to see these big names potentially moving into the space, specifically Alibaba, because obviously they're one of the largest websites in the world in terms of e-commerce and that kind of uh, business to consumer side of things. So if they were able to include uh, handling activities with like crypto assets, like buying, selling, payments as well as trading and remissions ultimately that's a massive market that they service and so it's very intriguing to see the big names like this move in not only from the adoption standpoint but looking to get their hands and feet dirty in the thick of a crypto license yeah definitely uh the mas the monetary authority of singapore said that uh giving licenses to somebody is a premium it is not something to be taken lightly so you do see these huge corporations the largest in the world initiate that momentum and i think um really a lot of companies will try to utilize it because it's not just for transacting i'm sure that there's a lot of companies who would utilize blockchain in the supply chain management side of things especially for huge cor corporations like alibaba who have um so many things to keep track of i don't, I don't exactly know but um, that would be a very, very useful and well-utilized case for blockchain in a company like Alibaba or let's say something where there is both physical and digital products like an Amazon as well. Um, so it'd be interesting to see. We'll definitely keep you all updated for that. Um, but that's some news coming from the other side of the world. Singapore definitely seems to be taking and leading the charge for the capital market side of blockchain. Um, China's really focused from an outsider perspective on the central bank digital currency, the CBDC. Um, so then you, you see these different uh, countries all over the world attack blockchain in a different way. I think Singapore is trying to um, create as much capital inflows from the public markets as possible instead of utilizing the government to kind of fund these interesting projects. So Singapore seems to be a really interesting place for new tech. They're growing at a very rapid rate. So it makes sense that these huge tech conglomerates are looking to establish themselves in this very um, interesting uh, area of Singapore. Yeah, 100%. I mean, at the end of the day, this is just true adoption we've been talking about throughout this episode, whether it be with El Salvador, Singapore, any of these racing companies. We're seeing the paradigm shift happen, and that is regardless of the current price action. Obviously, Bitcoin's been a little bit bearish over the last month, I would say. May was a very tough month for crypto, but here we are still making progress both in the way of institutional adoption and national adoption. And so on that bombshell, I believe that is a good place to end the 56th episode of the Performante podcast. I appreciate the time that you've taken to tune in, listen to us, and ultimately just uh, hear our banter about the crypto market. We love recording these. Hopefully you love listening to these. See you around the Discord. All the links are in the description. Take care, everyone.